A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Wheel of Time podcast. We're the Lorehounds, your guides to Randland. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our coverage of the Amazon Prime fantasy series, The Wheel of Time. In this podcast, we're going to discuss the entirety of season two and our hopes for season three, dot, dot, dot. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our October podcasting schedule, followed by the White Tower segment, where Alicia Sedai and I dive a little deeper into the lore of the books. For early access, ad-free episodes, and exclusive content, visit us at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Also, if you are enjoying what we're doing, we would like to ask you to consider leaving us a rating and review. Apple Podcast is the best place as it helps us raise our profile even as far away as the Aiel Wastes. John, this is the last time I get to say that for, for this season. There you go. There you go. Well, you've you've mastered it now. I have. have I, I haven't mastered the weave, but I've, I've mastered the <laughs> pronunciation of Aiel. There you go. Uh, specifically for the Wheel of Time, we have a special feed set up for it. Uh, just Wheel of Time content. So if you're only interested in that content, you can subscribe to that channel. But we may be away for a while. So make sure to check out our main feed, The Lorehounds, which you can find on YouTube, Spotify, or any podcasting platform. As well... Feedback, uh, we'll keep the uh, WOT uh, email address active. So if you've got any final thoughts you want to send in, feel free to do so, and then we'll keep that available for season three. But we've got a Discord, and there's a good place to chat about the show ongoingly there. Yeah, uh, Alicia has recruited Twitter of Time to our Discord. So, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we have quite a lot of... Dis- discourse on Discord. <laughs> I'm doing the lights work. There you go. <laughs> All right. Send emails to WOT at thelorehounds.com, as David mentioned, or you can head to our website and either use the, lo- uh, the voicemail feature or the contact form. You can also post a message on our Discord server, and uh, we are chatting away over there. Seems like hot. I couldn't even keep up with what was going on this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. And with us today is Elisa Sadai, co-host of the White Tower segment, who's going to be here for the full episode to help us break down the season and answer a little fan uh, feedback. Welcome uh, welcome back, Elisha. Thanks so much for all that you did this season. I hope you guys had fun in the White Tower, running around the hallways and uh, 
maybe running it through a few arches and, and whatnot. <laughs> I hope no arches. I'm I'm a little afraid of the arches. What are those t- tang tangriel? Terangriel. Terangriel. I got close. Uh, yeah, playing with some terangriel uh, artifacts. It's not tang. We We're not going to space with orange juice. Mmm, delicious. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that's season five. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. You a, never know. Isn't, isn't there a timey-wimey aspect to this uh, this body of work? It's more like cyclical than timey-wimey. It's okay. not like we're going back and forth in time. There's more just like, this is, has happened before and will happen again. Could you say it's a, a wheel? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we We did get a taste of the mirror world, so that's more like... It's not really a multiverse like you're going to see in Marvel or DC, mm-hmm. but um, it, it, it's a multiversal aspect that will be further explained in future seasons. Near, well, I, there's dreams and there's ways, mm-hmm. um, there's future yes. and past. So, okay, I'll, I'm just going <laughs> to buckle up. At least I'll, I got Loki. All to these help things me, shall uh, weave together. <laughs> <laughs> they will at some point. Yep. Yep. All right. I think it's time for some general thoughts on the season. How about we start with our guest, Alicia? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about the show in general. It's my favorite story and I love the adaptation. It's my favorite show. So I just love all of the just layers of everything. You know, I have a very, a brain that craves complexity and the show delivers. Um, we have a lot of political nuance, um, and yeah, complex characters and just a really nice balance between politics, drama, and spectacle. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a great one for puzzle lovers. And, you know, if they say that a story is as only as good as its villain, this has some of the best, most iconic and original villains on television. Um, and the action scenes, yeah, for me, that's not usually my favorite part. I, I get bored during action scenes if I'm not emotionally invested, but they manage to do that. And it makes it fun for me to like watch and actually rewatch them, which is something mm-hmm. I rarely do. Yeah, I love I love the musical score, John. I know you disagree, um, but I, <laughs> <laughs> you got feedback on it. Yeah, I mean, it's I love Lauren Balfe in general, and I just I think what he's done here it is a mix of, you know, it, it blends into Tchaik. Ty- 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 I can say this name Tchaikovsky in my head. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you can hear it clearly in your head. It just doesn't come yeah. out the mouth hole. No, I yeah, I have a. Swan Lake in my head all the time and it starts to like blend together with the theme of Egwene in my brain and it works so well together and I think that's perfect for the Wheel of Time because it is about you know as David was saying the cyclical past and future coming together and how you know there it's it's not our past it's not our future it's both um yeah and of course yeah I have to say the costumes have also been just extremely superlative, uh, original, uh, Sharon Gillum deserves so many Emmys. Uh, I will say though, that the show needs maps. I wish that they would just <laughs> borrow from rings of power on that. Just do the map. Yeah, that was good. That yeah. was good I when really they did agree. that. They just pan the camera over the map. Yeah. It definitely needs geography. I got, I got really lost, uh, several times in the season. Yeah. And I completely get that. And that's one of the great things about like the books, you know, is I'm al- always flipping back to, I even have like a permanent tab open on my phone. That's like the map of this world. So. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a hardcore reader, right? You yeah, exactly. Keep track of things, so I can, so. I can picture it, but I understand when people complain that they can't. Um, and yeah, this is just the beginning. Like, you know, just like the books, this is just getting going. And season three, I think is guaranteed to be even better. Just knowing the source material. 
mm-hmm. and just seeing how they've moved all the pieces into place so far. So very enthusiastic, not saying it's perfect. I have my quibbles, but um, it's for me, it's my favorite show for sure. I was just going to add that I'm currently listening to the audiobook of book four because mm-hmm. I'm excited for season three. And I honestly forgot how packed that book is. Yeah. There is a ton in there. And they basically said, Rafe Jeskin said, we're going to do a faithful adaptation of book four in season three. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to see how he does this because there's there's like three interwoven big storylines in that book yeah. and three big climaxes. Like you could have three finales and I would be happy. It's interesting that you say, did he say adaptation? Because isn't he the guy who said inspiration versus adaptation is a No, is a that thing? was Brandon Sanderson who wrote the... I um, keep forgetting that. I can never remember. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, he right, wrote the last Sanderson. three books. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. No, Rafe, Rafe did say, you know, we, we want to do a pretty straight adaptation of book four for season three. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's setting some expectations for, yeah. for folks. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it is very... Like I said, like there are three huge, like big set pieces that I think you could you could devote an episode to each, and it would be awesome. Or you well, could I, interweave them. I think they're going to start in the same location that they start in the books, and just combine because they didn't do the end of three. So I think they're going to mm-hmm. combine that with the start of the season. And yep. Well, we Sorry, haven't even been there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've well, kind of, we've seen it in the background. Yeah. Alicia, what uh, have you heard? Are you tracking behind the scenes information about production? Mm-hmm. Uh, we we understand that they did start or maybe even finish season three filming. Um, um, they are very far into it. I think the there was some press recently that suggested that they're going for an early twenty twenty five release date for the next season. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, but, I know that they were they were very far into it when the writer strike started and and the writing and acting strike kind of stopped them in their tracks so they're they're getting back into it i don't know how far they are now yeah well i know there's been some releases of like you know no we know now that certain actors are on set um so we can discuss that in the spoiler section yeah well anyway uh david give us your general thoughts well i'm not gonna lie i definitely struggled at the beginning of the the season uh, there was just so much, um, and and I'm you know I'm fantasy literate, I'm sci-fi literate. I, I consider myself a, a genre fan, and it was hard for me to really pick up the world. I could recognize faces, but then trying to what city are they in, and who is this you know new character person, and who are they referencing. There was just a lot to uptake. That said, by the end of the season, I was pretty happy. I was entertained. It really they they really landed. I think the finale. There's some nits to pick in the finale, um, but I think overall, yeah, I was satisfied with the season. Um, I was entertained. The question of whether I would have stuck through this show had I not been podcasting about it, that's an open question. I'm not really sure where I would have landed. If I had gotten to episode, I probably would have tried it out and I would have gotten a few episodes in. And unless I had a good friend, trusted source, somebody really dragging me you know, into it, saying, no, 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 stick with it, stick with it, stick with it, it's going to pay off, I, I might have 
um, abandoned the season uh, a little bit of the ways in just because of that wall of information and character and geography uh, that just felt like pretty average fantasy soup. And that is somebody who's, you know, I, again, I'm not a book reader. I, I didn't, I was very unaware of this series and I'm not trying to be critical of performance or anything like that. I just, it was, it was just a, a level of impenetrability unless you stuck with it. Right. So from what I gather of fans, everybody's really happy. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything about the inspiration or adaptation of the work. I'm just saying coming into it, you know, it was, it was quite a lot. Um, that said, there are times in the season where the quality of the writing and the acting were really superb. And I don't know that I would maybe have those peaks as high as an HBO top quality show, but pretty close, pretty close. I'm trying uh, not I've, to take offense. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, and I don't want to be offensive. I'm, I'm, I'm not at all trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to be an honest reaction, mm -hmm. you know, my honest reaction to just coming, you know, really fresh into this world. There are other times where there was just a, there was a couple of plot lines and a couple of scenes where, ooh, this is it wasn't really great. Um, and so for me, the show was very uneven in that way, along with the VFX. The, there were times when the VFX were amazing, the magic and the weave. They put a lot of effort and money behind that. That looked great. And then there's other action scenes that were just mundane. They were just pretty basic. You know, it's a character walking down a medieval fantasy road with some air cannons and some pyrotechnics. And, you know, it was pretty. Wait, but can, can I pretty, ask? Pretty flat. Go you ahead. think that the. Um HBO, like, for instance, House of the Dragon, you think that the special effects are more consistent and it doesn't often look like they're on the volume or? Um, yeah, I would say that the VFX. So, okay, well, let's talk practical effects versus VFX, I should say. Like I said, the, the weave looked great and and there were some beautiful drone shot well that drone shots are practical that's a whole other thing so that was fine but then there were other there were scenes early on maybe episode two i think where rand was fighting the um apologies the name of the, the creature draw yeah the mirror draw where it just looked off to me the the backdrop just looked off and now granted i was watching screeners so you know i, I mm -hmm. could have you know that that could be that but then there was a, another scene where they were standing on a cliff and I was just like, oh, you know, there's there's something off there. And then some practical, the fight scenes all seemed pretty good. We didn't get that many uh, overall, but, you know, they, the choreography was great. But then like Landfear walking down the town street the and, gate, yeah. Yeah, and just sort of air cannons and pyrotechnics, it, it wasn't. It was funny because that that's one of my top moments of the season. I love that. Yeah, I loved I it too. It was amazing. Yeah, and I noticed no problems with it. Honestly, yeah. I'm not saying that there was a problem with her walking down the street. It's, it's in the fine. Air can you can fire. be the role of the cranky old man. And I'm not being cranky. I'm not trying to be cranky. I'm just trying to be an honest. Uh, I'm just no, my I, honest assessment. I was just like, oh, you know, it was mundane. I'm not criticizing that scene. I'm just saying. It was mundane. It was average. It wasn't okay. extraordinary. I guess. I guess I just. Like, Whereas, I, like seeing Rand weave the magic, you yeah. know, that was extraordinary. That was beautiful. Right. Anytime anybody used weave, it was beautiful, and I loved it. I loved the way they mixed the colors. I loved the way that 
it wove around them, physically acting and actually when Rosamund Pike was sending off her torpedoes, the way that she was holding her poses, you know, if you didn't have the weave, it would just look ridiculous. Just somebody standing there doing these like weird, right. uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, contorted poses. Which is funny because none of the people who can't channel, actually, I should say none of the women who can't channel um, and none of the men at all can see those weaves. Right. right. So if right. you're in that world, you can't see anything. <laughs> right, right. You just so you're see just, Moraine just squatting seeing, on the beach. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> yep. So, and again, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm, I don't want to harsh anybody's vibe. I don't want to yuck anybody's yum. No, it's I'm just, just talking about my, my in personal response to the show. And yeah. it, for me, it was uneven. Right. There okay. were times it was amazing. And then there were times where I was just like, eh, okay, it's fine. It meets expectations. But uh, my only objection was to saying that HBO is better because I think that HBO has exactly the same sorts of sins where, you know, like <laughs> fair enough, you know, so that's that was my only objection. Well, Otherwise, let me let me rephrase what I what I was trying to say was when we look at something like a, a Last of Us or or even a, a Game of Thrones or House of the Dragons where, well, you know, see, the, House the, of the budget. Dragons. I can think yeah. of so many, so many moments like that, like on the beach with Witch's face, the uh, crab face, uh, suddenly sure. forgetting his name. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I loved the scene on the on the bridge where you know, uh, Rain Rhaenyra comes and you know and and shows up everyone, but right. that was clearly filmed in the volume, and but I forgive it before it's writing. I think the point is, if the story has you. Yeah, you will not yeah. notice these things. Absolutely. It's true. If the yeah. story does not have you, you will notice these things. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me in Ahsoka, the finale. Right. Remember, I was talking about the volume. Um, you know, I was watching Loki season one. I binged it over the last couple of days. And it was a great story. So I forgave that when we're on that one planet that's blowing up. Right. I can mm-hmm. absolutely tell that there is a green screen behind them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, it doesn't matter because it's a good story. So it may be, David, that you're just not gripped by the story at those points. And so you start inspecting for nits. Yeah, and you 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 are definitely aware of. Uh, I, I find myself this this case. Yeah, that I'm 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 aware of uh, faults where I'm not wrapped up in story, and I'm not like especially as a a book reader where you're really got a lot of anticipation and interest. How are they going to do this? How is that? So your attention might be focused elsewhere. My attention is, yeah, is this is this particular episode getting me through all of the things that it it wants to. And then when there's uneven parts and plot lines that sag, right, then it's, you you pick up on those even more so. And, and it, it, I just really noticed that, that unevenness. Sure. Sure. So, you know, and I, I don't, cause I don't have the same kind of, yeah, I, I just don't, I didn't read the books. And so it's not as beloved for me now. You know, if we got into a Dune thing or something like that, you know, maybe, you know, there would be um, a different vibe I would bring to it. But and and I think for me, the measure as well is that the show is already starting to fade in my memory. And so while I was entertained and I'm glad I I watched it and I'm glad I got to participate and I'm looking forward to season three, I'm also not eager you know, I don't have eager anticipation for it the way that, you know, somebody else who's who's vested in the in the world as much. Every time that uh, it was season one when John and when you and I watched it because we thought that season two was going to come out. You know, it was imminent. Year, imminent. Yeah. Any day now. Um, the middle episodes of season one really 
interested me. There were some great, interesting story concepts and they were flipping some stuff around. And then there are, you know, the front and the back of it where you're just like, oh, okay, this is just pretty average. But also if too. I could add some of the sloppiest VFX are in the middle of season one because they you have those weaves that I think the season one weaves look terrible. Now that, sure. now that they're gone, we can just say it, okay? <laughs> season one weaves didn't look good. I mean, for me, they were fine, but they're definitely much better now. Right. Yeah, I, they, they took they, me they out of it. I thought down. that they looked silly. Mm. Yeah, I don't, and I don't even remember uh, the weaves from season one, to be honest. So they were like clear and they the male weaves were black instead of... So they did a really cool thing in season two where they had like a string of black symbolizing yeah, the I noticed that in, yep. in the male weaves. Rather than making you think that, you know, side in and side R look different. Well, um, I didn't and that because see them, you know, but I didn't see it that way. Um, when we saw Logan, uh, we, you know, channel in season one, his weaves were just much more corrupted. So we did see like the white come out first and then black creep over it. But there's just a lot more of it because he was further gone for okay. deeper into channeling. Okay. Fair enough. Well, the weaves were beautiful this season. The the color shifts, you know, the different different Aes Sedai weaving and what they were doing. And then they, maybe it was a little brown or it was a little yellow, not saying that that correspond directly to their Aja, but um, whatever it was that they were doing, there was um, color, subtle coloration. Mm -hmm. and it, it, it all looked great. So they really put a lot of care into that and it showed. Mm -hmm. And when we get to our sort of favorite moments, you know, I'll talk about some of the, the things that, that really compelled me this season, just like it really compelled me last season. And and yet those were uh, not as frequent for me, you know, in terms of what was really amazing and what, what really blew me away. So I was happy. I was entertained. I was happy to participate in the community and share my, my honest uh, thoughts and get into the world. And I'm really glad that there's a podcast out there, <laughs> you know, that I could connect to. Yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm excited for season three. I maybe just don't have the same eager anticipation that Fair um, enough. other folks do. So Fair enough. Okay. We've gotten your gist, David. And now I'm yes. going to make this a compliment sandwich. <laughs> I loved season two. I thought it was really excellent. I, I think that where it's working for me, and it might not be working for you, David, is that I feel like the world is the world I want to live in like the not right. that I want to actually live in it, but like the world I want to spend time in with my mind. Sure. Like I want right. I want to get to know these side characters. I want to see how these politics work. I want to see what the magic system is. And they are really capturing that intrigue for me. I think that if I were not a book reader, I'd be and, and I see this on our discourse over a lot of people asking questions about how the magic system works. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where you want to be. You want people to be hungry for more. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that the show is doing its job with that. I do agree with you. They are throwing a lot at you as the books do. And the books have a thousand pages to do it. This has mm -hmm. eight episodes. And, you know, I think, again, I want to add to the end of the year discussion of our, our uh, you know, our top 10 list. Are we too married to the eight episode season? Agreed. Are we too married right. to? Because I think that um, this show would do very well to have 10 episodes at least. Right. I could totally see a 10 episode, you know, plus or minus uh, season for sure. There mm -hmm. was a lot that was compressed and compacted in. And and that's, I always feel too, when you've got a big show like this, 
give it the space and the room that it needs. Why? Uh, yeah, I, I don't understand sometimes the programming decisions, but that's why I'm not a programming executive. Right, and I don't, I don't blame Rafe, and I don't blame anybody in production for that because I don't think it's their choice. I well, think he that wants Amazon more, obviously. Episodes, right? Yeah. No, yeah, he, I mean, clearly he, he, wants he fought more, for more. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we yeah. got at least we got longer episodes this season. That's right. true. And I think part of it is we saw in the writer's strike and their demands that the eight seasons, the eight episode season seems to have been pushed as a, as a way to pay writers for fewer time, for less time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's been sold to consumers as this quality over quantity thing. Right. And I think going from 22 to 12 or 10 was was a quality over quantity thing. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Right, I and don't that has a lot to do with sense to advertising. Right, and that had a lot to do with advertising models as well, mm-hmm. and and what are the, the the live audience sitcoms and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So yeah, it was a completely different structure where we have a real narrative structure now. When you when you're not so dependent on advertising and that mm-hmm. model of television that we had before. So yeah, I don't I don't care if it's six eight. Well, we're litigating the, the end of year podcast question here. Um, I don't care how many episodes it is, as long as you, I feel that you are telling me the story that you want to tell. And I think right. that they did. I think season two delivered on the story that they wanted to tell. I feel good about that part of this season. Absolutely. I feel like season two contained what it needed to contain. Could it have gone a couple episodes longer to let some character storylines breathe a little bit more, I think I I would agree with that, if that's what you were saying. Just one episode entirely of land training Rand on the sword. That's all we have. <laughs> that would have been dope. I would have been down for that. <laughs> Keep a bottle episode. Have a fly run around right. the, the world. You know, we'll go Great drone that. shots of them standing on a cliff, you know, right. doing katas and whatnot. Wait, I think we've seen that before. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... I, I think that in general, in this world, you've seen, to borrow from the IEL and a wink to book readers, uh, a fifth of a fifth of this world. I right. think that you will you will start to feel more comfortable as the show goes. I think even as an early book reader, you're a little bit lost in the soup of it because there are so many roles that Jordan is going to reinforce over time. And he's going to remind you, OK, this is how channeling works in this situation. This is how it works here. Here are the limitations. And then he builds on it slowly. And the show has to do that in less time, but I think they can do it. And I really love the season. I was not bothered by any visual issues this season. Like, I, I really thought it looked great pretty much from start to finish. Yeah. Um. You know, there were a couple silly things like, yeah, no, you can't put a dagger on on a spear and make it into a... Into <laughs> I was a, fine a with that, actually. That that one actually didn't bother me I saw somebody much. tweeted at us, like, why, were, why are you not ranting about this when you were ranting about jumping the gaps? <laughs> I was like, because this didn't... First of all, this didn't, like, affect character motivations and affect, like, a character's arc. And second, um, I was into the story in this, right? Like, you notice things more when you're not into the story, when you're not sold... With, by the plot. someone, someone had good headcanon for that. They were like, "Well, you know, if the knife is just obliterating everything in its path, then it ha- it faces no friction, so it'll just stay like that." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good headcanon. I like That's that. That's pretty funny. I, I would also just put, you know, head. I kind of headcanoned it that uh, Matt, growing up in a village where you know you're improvising things all the time and fixing things in that way that he had some uh, degree of skill and knowledge to to do that so mm. and then maybe combined with Alicia your your point there that that worked right in tandem anyway <laughs> sure sure but yeah i mean i i think that they 
Tate Revere, it did everybody's arcs justice. I think that they moved the characters along in their development largely. Um, I'll talk about my favorite moments in a minute, but I just wanted to say great job in this season. I thought it was 10 times better than season one. I thought that it was significantly better than the Rings of Power. I thought that this was just a better done show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that Rings of Power can learn some lessons by the way that th- here's here's what I think that this season did right compared to Rings of Power and compared to um, season one of this show. Instead of making a deliberate effort to make this a new thing, they added things where they needed to, but they captured iconic book moments that made people fall in love with the series in the first place. Because there's a reason people love the Wheel of Time, and a lot of those reasons are the big set pieces. And this show in season one seemed to make a point, and I know Alicia's going to disagree with me on this because she likes season one a lot, but I thought that season one felt like it made a point to sidestep a lot of them, you know, replace all the dialogue um, with their own thing and and just really avoid paying homage to the books in a way I, that yeah. felt almost like dismissive of the books. I, mean, I, I, didn't like I that disagree. At all. You, you're right. I disagree because there are a lot of <laughs> iconic conversations and moments. But anyway. Well, anyway, I thought that season two did a much better job yeah. at taking those big set pieces and making them happen. See the finale, you know, and and it did the Jordan thing. And I said this in the in the season eight, the episode eight recap. But um, Jordan does this thing where he lines up, he, you know, he loads the bases and you're 50 pages to the end. You go, he's not going to be able to finish this up in time. Mm-hmm. And he goes, watch this. And then he just knocks it out of the park and everything just happens all at once. And it's amazing. And it, you get this adrenaline rush and it's just so satisfying. And the show did that in this finale. And, and, it you did. know, in, it did. in a way that I, I was worried after the season one finale. And after, I think I, I think I saw this, before I saw Ahsoka, um, but the you know the Ahsoka finale felt like it was set up for a great finale, um, and it didn't it didn't execute well for me. But this show felt like it did really execute well, and I'm really happy that it did. I'm very excited for season three. If you can't tell, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, episode eight. The, it was entertaining. It had pace. It had stakes. Uh, you know, it brought everybody together in ways that didn't feel. Um, I didn't feel the hand of the writer. It, it, everybody got to the same place in a way that made sense. Um, and it, yeah, it packed a lot of energy, uh, and, and was very, very entertaining. So. Well, cool. I think that we can move on to our favorite plot lines or moments. I, I snaked the, uh, the order here. So I will start with my favorite moment so that I can just keep on my train of thought. I thought that, my number one plot line was Nynaeve's uh, arches. I thought that that was done incredibly well in tandem with Leandrin. I thought that they did an amazing job bringing Leandrin to life and making her a lot more in-depth than the books. I think that they developed her really right. well. They added some interesting motivations. This is an example. I I think of um, in Game of Thrones, the best thing that D&D did that was not in the books was the Arya Tywin conversations. And this was that for me, right? It was adding all this interesting dialogue that feels like it's in the lived in part of the world, but is not from the books themselves. Like Leandrin barely talks to Nynaeve in the books, but they added this whole complexity that plays with sort of the, the anger within Nynaeve, like let the hate flow through you, but also, <laughs> but also gives Leandrin some depth and, and humanizes her in a little bit so that she's not the cartoon villain she is in the books. 
So I would say Leandrin and Nynaeve were my two favorite uh, plot lines in the show. Um, how about you, David? Alicia, isn't Leandrin one of your favorite characters or at least one of your favorite actors this season? I mean, I know you have a lot of favorites. <laughs> um, I wouldn't call her a favorite character. Well, I, she's probably she gets the biggest like glow up from the books. She okay. becomes much more interesting in the TV show than she is in the books. And mm -hmm. I think that Kate Fleetwood uh, plays her masterfully, uh, yeah. makes her much more interesting to watch. It makes me much more excited about her storylines. I, I I have to agree, John. The um, the that story plot line was really good, and that conversation again was one of those moments of of brilliance in the show in terms mm -hmm. of learning, having these great character moments. I, I was a little left confused, not confused. I shouldn't say that. As I as I was thinking about our our podcast today, what happened to her? <laughs> Where is she? What's going on? Right? They is one of the storylines that they they didn't. She'll be on. back. She'll be yeah. back. Oh, I'm sure. She I was last know. seen in Kyrian, so she's still there. Yeah, yeah I, guess. I, I think yeah. Uh, again, this is a slow burn story. You gotta, oh, yeah. you gotta give people a chance to to do their thing and come back. Um, people will disappear for books at a time and then come back and be relevant. Right. So right. And I didn't uh, miss her. I was just thinking about it now. Yeah. What did happen to her? <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. She's, I, uh, I, I she's cooler in the show than in the books. I'm honestly excited to see what they do with her in the show. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, sure. and I'm glad that they didn't kill her off yet, which is a yeah. weird thing to say about, uh, you know, a villain. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's one thing that the show is doing well in general is that they're treating all, especially all the dark friend social folks, there's reasons why people choose to do this. It's not just to twirl their mustaches. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an interesting aspect of the show. All right, David, what was your favorite plotline or moment in the season? Or, or you can give a couple if you want. Yeah, I did a lot of thinking uh, about this when you sent the the outline and you know we started planning for this. And I think on reflection the two I guess they're they're very related and and you could even throw in a third which would have been the um conversation with with Nynaeve and um Leandrin. Um all Three, I guess, of my favorite moments are these one-on-one -on -one character conversations where we learn about the characters. They have these great moments where they're telling us not only about the world, but about themselves, and um, as well as um, uh, giving us a, some real depth to what it is that we're watching that takes it to takes that story to the the next level for me uh, to be a little cliche about it. So the first one that really interested me overall was anything to do, everything to do with Moraine and her sister, Anvir. Uh, I thought Lindsay Duncan yeah. brought yeah. so much sophistication and class and a different vibe to the show. And every time we went into House Damadred and the costuming and the the visuals, the way that they set up shots, it felt like they really took a lot of care with that storyline. The conversations between Moraine and Anvir really were illuminating and told me a lot that I needed to understand about Moraine, even though a bunch of it didn't pay off in this season. I, I am expecting it for you know future development of of Moiraine. 
the the whole big sister little sister thing was was a really great setup and the fact that little sister was actually a power player you know in their in their uh-huh. area was was a lot of fun the plot for for that that subplot had no magic in it you know even with the the nephew Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he he was a dark friend. He was at the dark friend social or whatever, but he wasn't doing it. It was all very mundane. There was no weaving. There was no, you know, fate of the world is in the balance type of stuff. It, 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 so for me, it served as a nice break. I could mm-hmm. settle down for a minute and just watch characters having interaction, all of that family drama woven in. And, you get a mini episode of Downton Abbey, you know? Totally. It's, it's great. <laughs> 100%, which, you know, I'm I'm not averse to. I'm 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 open to that kind of stuff. So, sure, sure, cool. Um, so I've I've got another one which we can talk about. But if you want to weave us around uh, our multiple, no, let's uh, let's talk about that quick because I I think Alicia has suggested that they may be giving another character's plotline to Anver later because she's a show creation, right? But I yeah. think there's a lot more you could do with her, and it would be a waste to not bring her back. Right. I mean, she was named in the New Spring. Um, like, you know, mm-hmm. Maureen has two sisters. One of them is named Anver. Uh, but yeah, they she was not featured like this. And I think right. that, right. yeah, they're slotting her into another character's role. Which I think is interesting because in season one, the stuff that really got me the most interested in the world and in the story was off book stuff. When the, um, with what, what happens when a warder dies or, but you that's know, not I'm off sorry. book. That's that's an intrinsic part of the world that they just had to condense to explain in this way. It does yeah, come. They, they took know. it from later in the books, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I, mean, I I was I was laboring under the impression that that whole funerary thing. And sorry, it's not the funeral was made up. The funeral was made up. Yeah, that was the stuff that was interesting. And then how how that affected the warder. Well, that's uh, that's from the book. How it affects the warder is an important thing you need the to understand. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it it yeah. felt it felt the most rich to me, and and you know, uh, and I guess I was under the impression that that was off book. So, yeah, it's it's so I I think that that plot line, like the names of the characters who die, this and that, that's made up, but that's because well, they took it from. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Alicia. No, they were characters in New Spring in the um okay in, in the prequel. I don't okay. know what New Spring is. I forgot about that. it's the prequel. It's the prequel. okay. Is and was that Sanderson or Jordan? Jordan. Jordan. Okay. Jordan would have written more prequels. He had planned to write one about Tam Rand's dad, and he just died mm-hmm. before he could do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Should I talk about my other favorite moment, or do you want to go ahead? Yes, go ahead. Uh, the conversation between Lan and Evo uh, was, I think, my absolute favorite moment, which is really interesting for a fantasy show with action and magic and, you know, intrigue and all of this stuff, just two characters sitting down and having a conversation uh, that not only illuminated for me deep motivations of the characters, but also illuminated, it, it told me something about our primary world and and how to think differently about the people that I meet in my real world. I'm a double Gemini with a Virgo rising. So I'm a chatty person, right? I am, I'm all about uh, being out in the world and interacting with folks. And so when I encounter somebody like a Lan or an Evo who are 
quiet and more considered in their thoughts and aren't aren't as surface um, engaging. Maybe you know, it's it's a confusing that it confuses me because I'm like, oh, where is this person? What are they thinking? Are you know what's what's going on in there? And that conversation explained to me so much what might be going on for other people. And it illuminated that little interesting aspect of life where, yeah, there's probably a lot of conversation happening in that head, <laughs> you know, and then that person's wrestling with things and, and working on stuff at, just because they're being quiet doesn't mean anything. I shouldn't assume anything about what's going on on the other side there. And so that conversation moved plot it moved character and it gave me something real in my world that I could take away. And that, it, when when the show was doing that, regardless of if it was Anvir and, and Moraine or or uh, Leandrin and, and Nynaeve, or in this conversation, or Elaine and, and Egwene, when we had those quiet moments one-on-one, and this is a failing of so many other shows because mm-hmm. they're trying to move plot, right? And there's big motion going on and we've got to get to these set pieces. Taking a minute to put me in one-on-one you know, with the characters to have that kind of conversation is so satisfying on so many levels. And so uh, I really applaud the show for hitting all of those and then this particular conversation sort of really um, is the cherry of of the of the of the bunch of them. Well, cool. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you that the um, the failing of a lot of fantasy big fantasy shows is that they are more concerned with the big flashy set pieces than they are with the intimate moments. Right. Um, it was something that Game of Thrones showed showed us in the earlier seasons how to do right and then in the later seasons it kind of forgot how to do it and that was the issue <laughs> with the last season i think was we had mm-hmm. I, I can't remember a single little moment like that we had maybe a little bit with like jamie and brienne but like most of the last season was really just here's a big battle here's another big battle here's a big battle where we forgot to turn the lights on and uh you know it's it's <laughs> just a, a lot of stuff like that but yeah John's i, I take talking point to well. his, his uncle right a really important character moment but it's it's wrapped around by this life or death uh, circumstance. Right. Well, you know, you've got to, you've got to carry on, you've got to, you know, move. Forward. And then, you know, there was some weird thing where he's now this ghostwriter person, what have you, half dead, half, whatever. There was a lot packed in there. And yet it, and it just served as a little fulcrum to get us from one point to the other. In this show, they stopped the world around us. We went and I didn't feel like the world it had stopped. But that's kind of what happened in the storylines. They zoomed in, quieted everything else out, and then two characters had a compelling conversation mm-hmm. that gave me a lot of depth and richness as to what the original author and what the showrunners and the actors are all trying to do, taking all of this complex stuff and putting it in. And that really humanized the show for me in a, in a show that is overblown with magic not over not in a bad way but i'm just saying there's so much magical stuff going on here that to, to just to ground me in a, for a moment that yeah these are real people no <laughs> they're not right. real people they're real people right. whatever you know what i mean right <laughs> yeah yeah they're 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 people with motivations and um and all kinds of complex things going on in their head and i could connect to that that felt good well cool alicia I think you're up with your favorite moments. 
Dubiandi Setovia Saigon. I am impressed. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's, uh, um, what, what's the translation? Let the it's dice time roll. to roll the dice. Oh, it's time to roll the dice, right. Um, Matt, in general, was an absolute highlight for me. Wow. Um, Very cool. Yeah, he's one of my favorite characters in the books. And I, you, I mean, I know we disagree. I love the new casting and it was cool to see this character really start to come to life and also just what it shows about uh, what I think is core to this, you know, where we see the characters constantly tempted and being told there's darkness in them and seeing them fight against that inner darkness is one of the things that I think makes this story connect with so many people. I don't know who who's disagreeing about Matt. I'm not. Uh, well, I know that John prefers uh, the previous casting, but okay. Yeah, I mean, I prefer Barney, but I, I, I think we're never going to get him, so I'm here. You know, what I mean? right. like I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to go like compare him to Barney in season three. I just figured this one season where he's brand new, no, he's no, going to no. get a little bit comparison. That's that's fair. That's how you feel, and and I didn't like Barney, and so for me, Matt is like, yes, finally we got it. You know, um, interesting. Okay, but. But just the, yeah, the whole heroes of the horn thing, it, you know, obviously it could have been bigger and more. And I do hope that Rings of Power shares more of their budget. <clears throat> but um, <laughs> it was a fair point. <laughs> it just gives me such a high whenever I watch that scene. Uh, the only downside was like, I don't know, that doesn't seem like Brigitte to me, but it's been confirmed that was only a stand in. So we'll get a real casting later. Um, it's the blonde may- archer, David, just so you know. Yeah. Okay. Her mm-hmm. name's Brigitte. Right. Yeah. And which makes me wonder, like, of course, can you just look like any of your lives in there? Because Uno looked obviously like his most recent life, even though he's someone who I think is somebody else, as you know, John. Um, I I think he's a hero of the horn from the books. And I just think that that uh, arc for Uno also just really worked for me. So that came together in that moment. Um, It's just a good way to include a really beloved character who, you know, there's not enough space to develop all the characters the way that we would like. And, you know, Ingtar, for instance, got the short shrift on it. And Uno, this is a way to give him a significant role, but without, with limited screen time. A quick side note on the Ingtar thing, after John filled me in about his character arc and the piece that was missing... That makes me a little bit more sad, even because I thought that actor nailed that role. He mm-hmm. had the right kind of um, energy for what I'm being de- what was being described on screen for me, and I would have really loved to see that turn or to, to yeah. have had that knowledge and then to have that turn. I thought that would have been a great additional counterpoint. So I, it is a little sad that yeah, for whatever reasons up. that didn't make it up. They set it up so perfectly. Mm -hmm. So I I was just really surprised. I have to think that they cut something out of the finale, which I just wonder why did, why couldn't the finale have 10 extra minutes? I don't understand. Yeah, exactly. I just think like if you were going to cut it, which is fine. Like, you know what? You don't absolutely need it. If you need to cut it, fine. But then why did you do the line of I can hold 50 men to one? Why do it half-assed? No, don't that, do it at all. I, that I don't, don't mind. Don't half-ass two things. Whole last one. Ron Swanson, <laughs> right? But it was just, I just thought they were setting it up so beautifully at the beginning of the season when they're talking about burying the dark friend and you don't yeah, totally. know. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that would have just been such a beautiful conclusion. And I do think I love the finale. I have so much fun with it. It makes me like fist pump. But I do think it felt choppier 
than especially the early episodes. Yep. And yep. it does make me wonder if indeed things got chopped. Yeah. There's it, it fell it feels like it, doesn't it? Which you know what's weird to me though is that that's the only episode that had the full theme. So you added right. like two minutes of theme time. <laughs> right. I was, would I would keep yeah, your still theme the exact away, same length, and Why? give me Ingtar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all you would have needed too. You didn't need that much work on it. He's a side right. character. Right. You just needed the one or two scenes where we get a little this or that, and then just great like little a good time. conversation before you know. Yeah. 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 And and on that missing pieces thing, the fact that we didn't get any story about how the horn was actually delivered. Well, we got feedback on that. We did get information. We just missed it. Yeah, but then. Yeah, I know when it was, but. It's huge. It's a huge missing. I mean, I I rolled with it. It It's fine. Yeah, fine. There's a a line by a character, but man, a whole piece missing of how how that actually transpired and, and how. You wanted a heist episode, huh? You, a couple of scenes, and I think this goes back into why eight, why not nine episodes? They could, you know, could could they yeah. stretch, or why why not a supersized final finale? Yeah, why right? couldn't it be a feature length finale? Yeah, shrug right. emoji. I mean, plenty right? of shows like, have done it now. Happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm very confused when streaming shows don't do supersized finales when they need to, right? Like yeah. Stranger Things, all over the place on episode length, and it worked. Right. I think it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, The Last of Us, completely same thing all yeah, over the place right. on on episodes. We spent like a bunch of podcasting time too, going, oh, well, this episode was this long and mm-hmm. that episode was that long. What does it mean? It doesn't mean mm-hmm. anything. It means that the story writers are doing what the story writers want to do to tell right. you the story that they want right. to tell. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to posit up conspiracy theory here. Uh, Prime is apparently adding ads to their service starting next year. Yes, they and you're going to have to pay two bucks a month or three bucks a month, something like that, to get ad free. Still, interesting. I wonder conversation. if they want to you mm-hmm. make, make it uniform on the episode length so that they could sell it in blocks easier mm. to advertisers. That will be yeah. That, that'll be what it is. I don't know. How yeah. To, you know? So we'll see if it's all like just over and because this was an hour and six minutes mm-hmm. for the screeners. And then I noticed it was like an hour and 12, uh, sorry, an hour and nine minutes for the final that had like the extra credits at the end with the mm-hmm. translations. Right, and all. right. I, I just wonder if it's going to be like, OK, we have hour long episodes. You get three or four ad blocks. We could sell them to you in this amount. Yeah, it's, it's easier to do that than say, well, this episode gets two ad blocks and this episode gets five. There was just an interesting podcast out the other day, uh, The Town, which is one of the Ringer titles with Matt Bellany. They talked about in depth about this new model that is being pushed out. Uh, you know, everybody's raising prices and to get ad free tier, you know, to have an ad free tier with a higher price, and then having the lower tier price with ads. And it turns out they make more money on the lower tier with ads than the mm-hmm. higher non-ad tier. It's cable. It's cable, guys. We're cable. We're, we're yes. paying we're on both ends. We're back. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's it's- like, oh, gosh, what's what's the tolerance? Well, my tolerance for unsubscribing is when everybody is whacking me mm-hmm. and I'm paying $1,000 a year, you know, versus, you know, six or seven that I was paying before. And even that's right. eye popping. Right. I'm going to start unsubscribing, you know, I'm going to start churning uh, again, you know? Right. Anyway, that's a different podcast. I I just canceled a couple of subscription services myself because I was just like, I'm not watching anything on this. 
And it's just going to start to be that. And I don't know. The problem is you can't even go back to cable because cable is now a cesspool of content. Like there's just nothing left. It's just just nothing left. And it's or if you tune in, you drop in on a channel. It's more than likely you're going to be right in the middle of the ad block. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I think that the problem is that streaming successfully killed cable, um, killed killed premium (laughs) cable content. And now now we are stuck with our just desserts. It's killing itself. It's an Ouroboros. Well, it's well just, anyway. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're just going to find new ways to make money, and it's going to be to the detriment of content and um, audience, you know, uh, enjoyment. So, what's the rule in Las Vegas? The house always wins. Mm. Well, this is a cheery podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Give us another thing you like. So, another thing I liked: <laughs> softly, softly from the shadows. Um, I was so excited. <laughs> Then my favorite Forsaken showed up. Um, oh, I, the the spider mm-hmm. Forsaken, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Mogedian, uh, Moggy for short. And yeah, so I'm definitely thinking a, a lot about the finale still. But I just think this is a, an excellent example of you know we've seen the m- most unique villain so far, and once we get the rest of the Forsaken, it's going to be. Such a shit show in the best possible way. Just I'm just imagining <laughs> their meetings together, and I just can't wait for it. Um, and and yeah, Mogetti and she's you can already see she's she's a different sort of creature. She's approaching things from a different way, uh, and she gets some of the most interesting storylines. The the bestie villains are gone. The 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 loose Theron right. bestie villains. Well, just um, one of them. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, we are getting. A different breed. Go ahead, David. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask Alicia, are are there power rankings for the Forsaken or are they all pretty much in yes. a band? No. I mean, Ishamiel was like the leader of the Forsaken. So okay. there's a power vacuum there now. Um, right. And they definitely have different like strengths in the power. And also uh, some of them are more assertive than others. Um, I think I think if uh, if you look at at strict book lore, Rand, Ishmael, and Lanfear are, are about equal in the one power. Okay. Is that right, Alicia? Um, I, I actually think Lanfear is slightly less than we think of, but I, I don't know for the show that it necessarily matters. I think we're mm-hmm. just going to see more like the Forsaken are just super powerful because I w- would be surprised that Mogedian could c- capture Lanfear like she did in the finale, quite like that, mm-hmm. quite so easily. Um, well, but, but she I, had the element of surprise, right? Exactly. I think, I think exactly. that's the point is Mogidian mm-hmm. is less powerful, but she uses her assets really well. Softly, yeah. softly from the shadows, as Alicia mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She doesn't miss when she strikes, like she said. Right. Yeah. So, I, and I think we're going to see more of, you know, that it's your sheer power level isn't the most important thing. It's how you play the game, to quote Got it. the game of houses. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of games going on. Yeah. Well, yeah. cool. Cool. I'm really excited to see more of the Forsaken. I know we have feedback on the Forsaken, so we'll get to that then. For now, I want to bring it down a little bit since we already mm-hmm. complained about a lot of stuff. Really quickly, <laughs> let's not dwell on this part. What are some things we think could use improvement from this season that we hope that they'll learn from for season three? Okay, well, I'll go first and just piggyback off of what David was saying before is that I think that the season one was better in um, in looking at certain pieces of what looks to be background information, but is actually important okay. world building lore. Like I was just rewatching, I did like a 
quick rewatch of the both seasons with a lot of it on fast forward. But one of the things I absolutely paused for was the Manetherin song and then Moraine's story on horseback. And it just, it sets you so deeply in this world and tells you so much about this world and about where these people came from. And it also is important for the future, you know, as uh, we're learning more about, well, not spoilers, but yeah, as we learn more about the past and the past lives of characters. Um, and I, I think that this season, they it seems like they were pulled away from doing that. Like we didn't have any in-universe songs like we did, which was a big bummer. We better get them next season when Tom's back. Yeah, no, no gleam in this season. Exactly, yeah. And no and emo we, gleeman. And we got uh <laughs> we only got like like the horn of Valir. We should have gotten a whole maybe like a cold open dedicated to the story to seeing like a gleeman actually acted out. Instead we just got a gleeman, you know, telling the story in the background uh while Rand and Lanfear were talking. So almost no one was listening to that. So yeah, that's that's my criticism. I hope that uh, next season they're given more space to lean into that and those important mm-hmm. pieces of of world building lore that really just immerse you in like the storytelling and yes, music, please. <laughs> All right, fair All enough. Right. I agreed, David. I was disappointed with the parent storyline. I thought that it was a very surface. Uh, level treatment for the character. I don't know. And, and again, I you know I, I can't speak to the books, but I just felt that the um, the importance of the plot line was not there, and I felt that the the time and development of the character was not there, and there was just something missing for me about what they were were doing with him. He's going from the wolf pack to the um, Aiel. And so that's a, that's a big change. Um, Hopper, you know, pour one out, uh, but mm. maybe, you know, not, not everybody who's dead is dead. I don't know. Uh, I just didn't feel like they knew what they were doing with his character. And, and on screen, what translated for me was uh, a thinness, a um, lack of development, a lack of importance to the storyline. I l- think that you could take out, you could have taken out the whole storyline, and I don't know how much effect it would have had on the on the main plot, uh, which is disappointing. Because if you're going to put, if you're going to cast that actor, and you're going to put the time and effort into a storyline, like you said, John, don't. Don't uh, uh, half-ass two things, right? You know, so mm-hmm. why, it's a it's a character from the book, so you're including it. Okay, great. Give it its due that you need for everybody else. Nynaeve, Egwene, Matt. Even Matt maybe had less screen time, but his story was consequential, and and it meant mm-hmm. something as he went through it. Whereas with Perrin, I didn't ever feel that he was consequential to the story. I don't know if that. If you guys have a, a similar thought or. You know, what's interesting is that that's a similar critique that Perrin gets in the book sometimes. Yeah. Is that he's not consequential enough. His story seems mm-hmm. to meander a bit. So but it's, next it's an season. issue with the character in general. Okay. Yeah. No spoilers about next season, but I Perrin will definitely come into his own in the way we saw Matt come into his own. Okay. Okay. Yes. I think that Perrin's second or third best moment is going to happen next season. Okay. 
let's let's hope for um, support for that actor and for the the writers writing that storyline because it yeah it really felt he, like he got I know they I know they're year. filming that storyline. I'm okay. very excited about it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> excellent. All right, that's cool. good to hear. That that makes me happy. Okay, and John, what about you? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna complain now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that it's probably predictable what I'm gonna say. I don't want this to be the Rosamund Pike show. I I think she's fine. I know I know that I have my issues with her performance of her portrayal of Maureen. I don't I don't think that it it speaks to me like the book Maureen spoke to me. But she's fine when she's on screen. I think that this story on screen sometimes weaves its way to bend around giving Moraine more screen time. And I don't agree with that because it's not Moraine's story. She is, she is the wise mentor. She's the Gandalf. And guess what? Gandalf's not prominent in most of the Lord of the Rings. It's not his story and it's not Moraine's story here. And so, while I understand we love Rosamund Pike and we want to see her shine. I want her used sparingly like she is in the books. And when she is a highlight in the books, she's great, Um, but it's not her story. And so when I have a full season of her being fake stilled and then she's just mean (laughs) for a whole season and then, you know, we it just it was so meandering and it was so exhausting. And I just did not like that storyline at all. I thought and I I, got to ask, what did that do for the character? What did that show us about the universe? What did it show us about the character? I thought that it was completely pointless from beginning to end. Um, and then the the dragon banner at the end, too, kind of bothered me. I thought, why why would Lanfear? It makes zero sense for Lanfear to bring Moraine, somebody who she has threatened to kill multiple times, to bring Moraine just outside the city so that she, at the perfect moment, could put a banner in the sky. It makes zero sense to me. Alicia, you were going to say something? Yeah, no, I have thoughts, obviously, because Moraine is one of my favorite characters from the books. She remains an even more favorite character in the show. And I think part of that is also just, you know, I used to be an Egwene and now I've been maturing into a Moraine. And um, (laughs) and so I I do feel like the the whole shielding plot line dragged on a bit longer than I would have liked. I do think that it did important things for the character in terms of setting things up. Uh, between with things falling apart with Swan and the way things are going to fall apart for her in general. Um, just, you know, she just showing what, what kind of person she is, but also I think from a, on a more serious note, from the standpoint of someone who's gone through serious depression, I think that um, I definitely connected with a lot of aspects of that storyline. And, you know, you see her and you're frustrated with her, but that is, it is realistic and it's, maybe it's important for people to see that what frustrating behavior it is and how much you just want people to communicate more. Um, I do see that they were setting it up in season one when I rewatched and about the banner, I completely disagree with you on that just on the front face of, okay. So on the Lanfear side, no, I don't know why Lanfear wanted Moraine to do it. That was a little glossed over too quickly, but to me, it had to be Moraine doing it because in the books, she's the one who's constantly like trying to push the banner on mm-hmm. Rand. So I, for me, it would have not made sense if anyone else raised the banner but her. But and I and I love that they, you know, made it an actual magical illusion thing or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that I don't understand why Lanfear would want that. Yeah. All right. I I, I certainly take your 
points well on portraying depression on screen. And I think that is important. I th- I think that you, you also alluded to this, too. You're right that this did drag on too long mm-hmm. um, and that if you were going to just restore the character to full power, you d- it's just kind of it's kind of cheap to spend a season on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, again, I just don't need to see a million examples of her being kind of mean to land. <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, and, and the, the banner, I, I guess I see what you're saying. I mean, there's a scene in the books that I wish we got in the show that, uh, you know, Moraine has Rand's clothes thrown out and he, and she gives him mm-hmm. only lordly clothes that have the dragon symbol on it. Right. Which I love. Yeah. She's <laughs> and, just like uh, pressuring him into the role. Right. That's how he gets the red, the red coat in the books mm-hmm. instead of, you know, from Lanfear. But yeah, I, I just, again, the, I think the Lanfear thing is what takes me out of it, right? Is like, how did he even, why is she even there? Why is she yeah, there? Okay. Why does she have that opportunity? Um, it just felt very, like, that was the most egregious example to me of Marine being in a place that didn't make sense. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, like, what, was Lanfear going to do it herself? Probably not. Why not? not? She's too good. She's too cool for that. I mean, you could have had uh, Egwene do it, too. No, Egwene was busy, and it wouldn't have made sense. I think it All had right. to be Moraine from the character point, but yeah. All right. All I'll just right. headcanon why Lanfear wanted it. Agree to disagree, I guess. And then <laughs> okay. Ingtar, I think we've we've talked over. I think that was my only other complaint. But again, I don't want to dwell on it because I've complained enough about it. All right. Enough complaining. Let's talk about <laughs> hope. <laughs> hopes for season three. David, you're the non-reader, so this is your space for your hopes. And Alicia and I will give our hopes in the spoiler section. Uh, I So we already talked about Perrin, so I can scratch that from my list here. I think I want... More land fear and more forsaken. Obviously, I think we're going to be getting those. Mm-hmm. I thought late season land fear was far more interesting for me than early season. And mm-hmm. so my hope is that they'll continue to build on that. I love her suave, smooth, powerful, confident uh, way about her. And then when she is caught by another forsaken that was great i was like oh wait how is this happening right so i want to see more of that and it sounds like we're going to get it i have a question mark about the dark one are we going to meet the dark one anytime soon and will it be next season i'm sure they've got a lot uh, in store for us with having all the forsaken released so that's my hopes is to see how the forsaken are going to operate and interoperate. Uh, so that to, could be just a lot to set fun. your expectations with that, I don't think it's too spoilery to say. Right. The I agree. dark one is not a person. The dark one is kind of a An vibe. entity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, okay. It's a it's a divine entity, right? Like this, this that is speaks a, a through deity. speaks through like the Forsaken through. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I I would not expect to see a personification of the dark one. In the way like we had with Ishmael or something. Right. Because he was a person, right? He was a right. person who was. He no was pretending by. to be. Yeah. Yeah. He was pretending to be him. But uh, okay. but yeah, he's he's a person. Uh, I'm hoping that Nynaeve is going to get out of her head a little bit. And even if she has to, if the way that she needs to access her powers is to hulk out, then to be okay with hulking out and just do it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really frustrated with seeing her 
stuck like that in in the best way Mm -hmm. saying that Mm -hmm. i want something more for her character she out of coming out of season one she was my favorite character and so i really hope that i get to see more of her development in season three i want to see her flex i want to see her grow and be comfortable with what she's got and and learn how to be herself uh, understanding Mm -hmm. that she's a channeler uh, uh, of some kind, right? So it lasted a long time in the books. <laughs> yeah, you keep saying you. That. Yeah, a you long, keep... <laughs> long time. Yeah, I do hope in they cut back on far, it. Far, far away. <laughs> yeah, I hope they cut back on it. But I, I do like, and I know this is a controversial opinion with a lot of ninety fans, but I like that they didn't give her like the big standout moment in the finale. Sure. Um, Fair just enough. because it shows. It shows that there are consequences to the things she went through, yep. and that yep. you know, it's not just. Like, oh, Nynaeve has a block, but anytime it matters, she'll be able to fix it. Like, no, they're setting this expectation she's fallible too. You mean like she'd be able to reach out with the force and grab a lightsaber? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. Or push someone across a gap. <laughs> or push somebody across a big gap. That's that's right. So yeah, I just I I, I really want to see Nynaeve's growth. I don't feel there was important stuff that happened this season, but I didn't feel like there was "Quote unquote growth and and growth can be a lot of different ways. I'm not looking for a uh, rainbows and unicorn thing for her, but I want to see movement in in a direction. Uh, and I don't feel like I I got to see that movement like we did with Egwene or with Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so so yeah, I'm really hopeful to to see more of her storyline. And then we touched on this at the beginning of the pod, which is geography and movement." What what city is this? Where did we go? How did who, who got there? Okay, granted, there's teleportation and there's dream world stuff and what have you. Fine, but I also felt that the 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 signaling for me as a viewer was at times unclear, and that left me confused. So I didn't know. Wait, was this a dream or was this reality? When Ishmael was glitching, okay, that that clearly visually communicated to me that they're. There's a dream thing going on. There's something weird going on here, as opposed to other times when it it was a dream, but it it didn't seem like a dream. So, um, so geography and movement, I guess I would say, I'm really hopeful that they're going to uh, hear what folks are are saying, especially on the geography front, and and apply that more maps, more maps, and 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 action. Like I get it, they're coming out of. Boy, it's been it's been a tough go for a lot of shows, right? So the mm. pandemic, uh, and then coming out, and then writer strike, and uh, writer and actor strike, and so you know that really messes with productions. And so I'm I I don't know if that how that affected them this season, but I would hope that some of the action sequences are going to uh, be a little bit better, uh, in my opinion. The choreography was great. But then there was some other stuff that I was like, eh. so I, I, I'm hopeful for uh, improvements in those in those areas. All right. Very cool. I think we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we will head into listener feedback so we don't have to ramble anymore. Hmm. And we're back. All right. Let's bring in some listener feedback. Again, we will not be doing another podcast this season for the Wheel of Time, but you can always write to us 
at WOT at thelorehounds.com or by heading to our website, thelorehounds.com, and sending in a contact form entry or a voicemail. And of course, we have a channel on our Discord that won't be going away on the Wheel of Time. So check the show notes for those links. First up, we've got Ken L. Ken L says, gentlemen and lady, I'm going to add, thanks so much for your podcast and your format. I love the interaction between you as it makes the material so much more accessible to me. I would not have begun to read this particular set of books or have watched this series as deeply as I did without your podcast, and I am the better for it. Thank you so much. Goodness. Well, thanks. I, 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 I appreciate that, Ken, and I hope you enjoy the books. Two questions and comments. Uh, one, I had a disconnect with the Egwene scape. Her collar would not let her touch anything that would act as a weapon against her master, such as the pitcher. If this was true, then she would never have been able to touch the extra collar she tricked uh, into her master. If the rules were clear, as often as as you often said, this would not work. Alicia, That's I know the answer to this, point. but I'm going to give you I'm going to give you the floor to answer that, this. I, I just want to interject that that that's actually a good question. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, so thanks for for pointing that out, Ken. And yes, please, Alicia. Um, yeah, so we, we talked about this a bit on the Discord, but uh, basically the idea is that um, it has to be a weapon within Egwene's mind and. Uh, one of the key things of this terangrial is what the collar is, is that it also, it wants to be healed by being around a woman. Um, so it's a confluence of a couple things where Egwene, she's like, I'm not going to hit her with it. Um, so it's a mental factor and also the factor that the terangrial, uh, wants to cooperate with this and doesn't see it as doing harm is my, would you add anything, uh, John? I would say that, and and we discussed this on the Discord, which is the interesting thing about that is that, so so first of all, I will clarify, I believe that the, the way they phrased it in the show is that Rena said she cannot touch anything she believes to be a weapon. Right. Mm-hmm. So if she can convince herself that it's not a weapon, then she can touch it. And the most interesting thing about this is that this means that Rena's indoctrination of Egwene helped collar her because... Right. Rena was able to convince Egwene a little bit. Egwene was at least able to convince herself for a moment that women who can channel should be leashed, that this is helping the person she's collaring. It's not hurting them. And so she's been convinced by the indoctrination of Rena that she's helping Rena by putting the collar on her and that it's not a weapon and that this is the way it should be. And that is such justice you know um of the indoctrination being the thing that brought rena down so as a non-book reader a lot of that didn't actually translate to me off uh, off the screen uh okay. i didn't actually think about the whole weapon not weapon thing and the way that that the collar was actually applied didn't feel like an attack so much as I, I put my hand out there and, you know, right. Um, and I wasn't attacking. I wasn't going to hit you. I wasn't going to brain you with it. I'm just sticking it out there. And uh, so, but this idea of the, the inner mind workings of this, mm-hmm. none of that really came, came off to me. But it, you didn't question it anyway. So I guess it works on a couple levels then. Yeah, that's that's right. It didn't I did it didn't question I didn't question it in the end and so that's fine as well. I mean, I'm glad Ken noted it and wrote in um 
but yeah, so it didn't, it didn't not work, but there was obvious, there's obviously more there that didn't make it to me. Right. So I, I mean, I would say that it, it is in line still because you have that whole thing where she can't pick up the pitcher, even when she's not going to attack her because she knows it's pointless because right. in her mind, she feels that it's a weapon. Mm-hmm. She believes it's a weapon in her mind. And Until that's she's indoctrinated. Yeah, right, 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 right. And so she was broken earlier in the season. So now she can look at the IDOM and say, okay, that's not a weapon. Even if she wasn't going to hit her with it, if she believes that's a harmful object, if she believes that's an object she's going to hurt, she could hurt somebody with, even if it's a possibility, she can't touch Mm -hmm. it. So that means that Rena successfully convinced her, um, at least in some kind of some kind of subconscious of her mind uh, enough for going to be able to touch it. Chilling. Yes, very chilling. It's cool stuff. Uh, we got another question from Ken. As just a starter in the books, I'm lost as to the eight different Forsaken. Can you list them all for me? Are they <laughs> the Dark Friends or something more else? Uh, I pulled up the Wikipedia article because I can never do these by memory. Um, so in the books, there are 13 Forsaken, not eight. They've cut them down for the show. So here's the book ones. Ishmael, Balthamel, and Aganor. Lanfear and Osmodian, Belal, Ravin, Samael, Semiraj, Masana, Graindal, and Mogidian. Uh, and Demondred. Sorry, I left him out. So um, in the show, we definitely had Ishmael. We have Lanfear. We have uh, Mogidian, we've seen. We had, uh, who do we have name dropped? Samael. We had. And Graindal. Graindal was name dropped. So that brings us up to five. Yeah, and so three left. We think that it might be Asmodian. just male ones, right? Left because of the way that they phrased them earlier. Yeah. If you look at the statues that Stepan was looking at in season one, it, four of them like look so unmistakably female. So I made a joke that one of the statues, it has like a sort of uh, nun, what do you call it? The thing on the head, uh, the wimple? Habit. No, not a that. habit, yeah. That uh, that that's actually Linny, who's a character who's a character servant in the Camelin Palace we'll okay. meet in season okay, three. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Robin in disguise. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but boy. no, I don't know. Like I, I have to wonder if one of them is still Semmerich. And some people are like, well, maybe Lanfear just didn't mention her because Lanfear and Semmerich hate each other. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so we'll see. We have five named so far. There's another three on the table. Um, again, don't Google this stuff, but you, you have the do list not, that I just said. Do not Google. I was doing a little bit of internet searching today to try to you know remember some details about the scenes that I had picked out. And boy, the mo- it's everywhere. You cannot, mm-hmm. uh, you cannot pull up a search of any kind without getting some hints or snippets of, of future information. Did you yeah, get I'm not even spoiled? kidding. If you type Egwene into a Google search bar, oh, no, you will don't get do spoiled. That. Don't do that. For a major, major plot point in the autocomplete. Like, you don't even have to hit enter and you'll get spoiled. Yeah, no, I didn't get spoiled today. I was uh, savvy enough to skip around and just not let my mind, you know, just let, keep my mind being a butterfly and not rest <laughs> any too long on, on any sentence or phrase that it uh, permeated. So I, I feel safe. And uh, this other question, are they dark friends or something more slash else? They are something more. They are leaders of the dark one. You know, they are they are the chief lieutenants, lieutenants, as they like to say. And they can all channel. 
Right, and they can all channel. That's a good point too. So they what are was the, the opposite of the Justice League. What, what is the opposite of the Justice League? I don't the, know. Suicide in, Squad? No, no, no. <laughs> um, in the old comics, in the old DC comics, right? We had the Justice League, and then they had their uh, their foes and I, their villains. Um, yeah. The oh, I should. I, should, I I'm a huge Harley Quinn um, animated series fan. What is, what is it called? They have I'm, the Legion of Doom. Legion of Doom. That's Legion of Doom. That's what it was yeah, from the yeah. old cartoons. Or uh, you go Scott Pilgrim, the League of Evil Exes. There you go. Yeah. All right. Next up is Loremaster in front of the pod, Dove71. We have uh, an email saying, hi, guys. Writing this the morning after the live watch of Revenge of the Sith. So feeling a bit punchy, but probably <laughs> in a good headspace to be in for some reflection, as I also watched the season finale of The Wheel of Time the same evening. Just a note for folks to say that for one of our Patreon benefits is to uh, we have some live watches. And one of the things that we're doing right now is a Star Wars film festival. We're doing all the films in chronological order. So next up is what? Solo, I believe, right? Yep. We're going to do Solo next. All right. As previously uh, said, this show is a favorite of Mrs. Doove, Shelley. And due to family stuff, we couldn't watch it Friday night. So we settled down to some satisfying fantasy TV and we were not disappointed. I'll do a quick episode eight feedback then into the season. Basically, really enjoyed episode eight, gave a satisfying conclusion to the season's arc. As David mentioned, it didn't feel forced in getting the team all together in the same place. And that is definitely the showrunners getting the absence of Robert Jordan's uh, the essence, sorry, of Robert Jordan's storytelling. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. The action was good. The changes they made from the books made sense, but Ingtar, 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 sigh. <laughs> As a new book reader, I really get invested into the story via book two. And I can remember where I was when I listened to the part where Ingtar reveals he was a dark friend. This was a massive revelation and a real shock as Ingtar had been kind of the Boromir character. Noble nice. mission oriented. Nice comp. Uh, and to get from his own mouth that he was in league with the shadow, just wow. This was followed up by the fact that he was seeking redemption and saw the alley as a means to reach that redemption was just the killer one two punch. He got his Boromir slash Duncan Idaho holding fast moment, and it propelled me to finish the rest of the book. I just couldn't stop after that. In the show, Ingtar had been a real side player next to no character development. So when the moment came, the payoff just wasn't there. And therefore, a key book moment just gets swept past. What do we think about Ingtar here? I think we talked about it a little bit before, and yeah, I I agree. Now that I know more that I, I know, it is disappointing. I think if you don't know, I it's just a, oh, you know, he sacrificed himself. And maybe that was a questionable decision to sacrifice yourself in that moment and under those circumstances. I think that's what I felt before knowing his, his arc. Yeah, because he didn't actually succeed in blocking. The no, it, it was whereas kind of in the book, away. he actually does give the group a chance to run away. Yeah, it, it was a bit of a throwaway and and it was a head scratcher. But, you know, sometimes you let those things go by. So Alicia, you're a book reader. And, you know, I, I've talked about before that I loved this character moment. It was one of the character moments that got me invested in the early books. Can you speak to your feelings on this whole thing? I mean, I I found it disappointing and baffling, like I said, just because they didn't, just because they seem to be setting it up so well. And so it was like, kind of like, wah, wah. Whereas, you know, the other big moment in the finale that was just made me burst out laughing was when Rand shows up and, um, and 
what's what's his face uh, says Torak says the line to him about the heron mark sword. Let's see what it means on this side of the ocean, <laughs> and then just thwap, it's over. And I I just burst out laughing. I'm like, you know what? I don't mind that at all. Um, yeah, that was fine. That was yeah. fine. Because they didn't half-ass it. They just kind of swept past yeah. it. They said, we don't need this right now. That's fine. I mean, I've seen people argue they they didn't have time to build the payoff for the entire moment. And to be honest, I don't I don't feel hugely strongly about that one as like an adaptation decision. It just, like I said, it feels like it feels like they probably did have it and then cut it out uh, for runtime. And that annoys me. Uh, all right. Well, Duve continues. I'm no book cloak, but I thought the uh, Egwene and Rena arc just wasn't as satisfying as in the books. What we got from the show was the easy option. I mean that in the storytelling sense, not in the character sense. Rena dies. Okay. The books having the dirty secret that the Suldam are weak channelers and leaving Rena to be collared was so much more complicated and satisfying. It was a revenge is a dis- dish best served cold moment rather than the heat and fire of battle that leads Egwene to kill her. Okay, this is something that we haven't really talked about much, is in the books, Rena is left colored, I think along with another Suldam, and that becomes right. a plot point of... With the one who got shot um, in earlier in that episode. She was mm-hmm, just like, it was mm-hmm. like, oh, whoops, okay, they're not going to play this the same way, are they? So I guess the point is, in the show, we have no evidence that anyone in the Shanshan know that Sulam can channel. But the question Whereas, is also in in the books it was Suroth who found out and she they they seem to be implying that she could be dead but I think she's as dead as Valda is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that uh they are both still around. But yeah, I I think that there there was this whole thing of like characters having this knowledge within Shanchen that that could destroy the empire, right? It it's a complete turning on its head of something central to their holding right. of power. I, I agree. And I have to think that they're doing this a just, you know, to clear out characters because they don't have enough screen time to give them. Um, but I have to think that they are going to address this. Now the audience knows this, this secret. And mm-hmm. I have to think that it's going to come back uh, in another way. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say if they were just doing it to clear out characters, I think they could have, left the nameless Suldam chained up somewhere, you know, have have her still be collared somewhere. Um, they didn't have to kill her, the naive Suldam. Yes. Uh, and they could have still killed Rena. I think her name is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. One thing that could be interesting they could be setting up is now our heroes have this knowledge, but people within the Shanchan do not. Maybe that gives them an advantage later. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, we have more feedback from Duve. Now, these are just nits, so go on to season feedback. Here we are. I went into season two after a non-ideal way to consume season one, which was on two long-haul flights of the states Oof, and back. Not a so good I way. wasn't super invested <laughs> in the show or the books. I credit both John and Alicia for persuading me to give the books a go, and a big thanks for convincing me. My wife had watched season one and had really enjoyed it, and so was looking forward to season two. Well, I'm I- glad you're enjoying them, Duve. I want to know, have you guys been notching all of your quote unquote uh, conquests or the number of people who have said that you've converted them? Because I think <laughs> we're you guys selling books for the Jordan estate. Yeah. You should be. You should. Both y'all should be. Yeah. So with that in mind, I have had a great time watching this show. It's been appointment viewing on Friday night. It has given me as much to chew over and want to discuss as Foundation and Silo, my top two genre shows in 2023. 
when a show makes me want to set down thoughts, theories, and feedback via an email, then that's testament to the quality of what they're putting on screen. Changes made from the books have been interesting and helped to make me want to watch, uh, uh, want to see what they come up with next. However, I think there is a curse of eight episode seasons developing. (laughs) We've seen it in Ahsoka and I think season two of The Wheel of Time. Eight episodes just doesn't give enough time to develop rich and dense stories. So we kind of skim over big chunks or or have to ditch whole storylines. The shortening of storytelling then feeds into creative decisions, which can shortchange characters and key plot points. I recognize that it costs so much to get these stories on screen, but maybe with two more eps, of recent shows, we would have had a more satisfying meal. Again, a nitpick. The Wheel of Time is not a Mackie D happy meal. It's nutritious, but not Michelin star fare. I think that's kind of in line with what you've been saying, David. Yep, yep. That's uh, very much, uh, that's a a good comparison in as much as like HBO is not without its flaws. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't want to, sure. I didn't want to set the bar. I was just trying to find that analogy, right? Uh, that, you know, of, of, of quality. And that's a- would Carmi and, and his crew be working at this restaurant? I don't know. Mm, I don't know. Well, they got a lot to work on, you know, before they can get there. Right. You know, They've got they their have, issues too. You know, they, they, they never call the freezer repairman. What was the restaurant that, um, that, uh, uh, cousin worked at? That yeah, I, I I don't remember the name of it. Do you remember that, Alicia? No, no, the, the fancy five star one. No, yeah, with the with yeah, I with what's remember. her name? Yeah, with uh, Olivia. Olivia Coleman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it's not that, but uh, <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. I think. All right, Duve is closing out here. I'm really stoked for season three and hoping that as principal photography was completed already, that we get the next part of the story earlier in 2024 than we got season season two. Uh, season wah, two. Wah. Um, yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Probably a small hope with the actress still on strike. Stay strong, SAG-AFTRA. Uh, loved your coverage, and it constantly needs to be stated the depth of quality when you have had to cover three premium shows in Foundation, Ahsoka, and this should not be understated. Kudos, gents. Well, thanks, Duve. Thank you, Duve. Always, always love the feedback. So much more that I could say, but I can imagine there will be a ton of feedback on the show. Thanks again, guys. See you in season three. Duve 71, stew somewhere in the aisle wastes. <laughs> All right. Tom V writes in, says, hey, gang, new listener and enjoying the journey with you. Welcome, Given Tom. the whole thing about not being able to sink the ferry with the one power. This is a book thing, but it would have already happened. So we're good. Uh, how do you reckon they square Moraine's torpedoes with the no use as a weapon oath? This All is right. a good question. This is a good question. I had the same thought when I was watching it, but I didn't bring it up on the pod uh, because I had enough complaints. And what do you think, Alicia? Because you're you're an expert on the one power. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess, it, again, it comes down to mind games. You know, it comes down to does she see them as a threat? And I guess if they are threatening the dragon, then that is, you know, a threat to the human race at large. What would you, what would you say? What if we had a white cloak Aes Sedai and they just thought everybody was a dark friend? <laughs> they could just be spewing out channeling. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. It's probably, you know, she's convinced that it's dark friends. Yeah. Who else would be shielding Rand? But it is it is a little sticky there, I think. I think they mm-hmm. pushed that to its limit there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Loremaster Adrian writes in, 
Hey, John and David, knowing that there are 14 books in the Wheel of Time series, something that has precluded me from 15. reading them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we'll ever see the end of the series on screen? From what I gather, it seems as if the showrunners have been combining material from a few books into seasons. Even still, I can't imagine them going through all the books before someone at Amazon pulls the plug. I don't know what could be worse, a show-stopping mid-arc or a rush to the finish a la Game of Thrones. On another note, if the show does end well, I'm sorry, if the show does end, I will gladly up my Patreon pledge to see both of you, uh, Alicia and John, uh, finish out the series with shadow puppets <laughs> <laughs> all right dude. that's pretty that's a funny thought um yeah so uh, <laughs> the 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 rumor i mean the idea that was floated we don't know if it'll come to fruition or what is eight seasons eight seasons in total so that means uh they roughly covered like four books if you include new spring the next one is supposed to be pretty much one-to-one -one, uh with the fourth book in the series and then that would leave about two books per season left to cover to make that eight seasons. But then I can imagine some books, you know, uh, <laughs> 10 can be collapsed quite heavily. So. <laughs> you, you could do, I think you could do books eight through 10 in one season. Yeah. That, yeah. There the, are some big set pieces in them, but I don't think that they take a whole season to do. Yeah. The memory of light gets its own season, I guess. Yeah. I remember when we were talking with David Goyer, who's the showrunner for Foundation, when we had him on for an interview, he talked about having off-ramps. He's already got off-ramps planned. So if he gets cut, mm. he knows, okay, this is how I can wrap us up here and I can wrap us up there. And I can only hope that Rafe has those backup plans in his pocket to think of uh, if if that happens. And it's a very... He's not guaranteed for eight. Uh, there is no way. Amazon no. doesn't feel like it cuts early like Netflix does. I feel like Amazon lets things run a little bit longer. Although the expanse, Citadel, the expanse got well. They plenty took of on coverage. the expanse. Yeah, yeah. I know, actually, but they also ended it after season six when it had three more books. Yeah, but no, no, that was the showrunners. The showrunners wanted that ended. Oh, okay, I didn't. They were done. That. Yep, they were done. They mm. they thought about the story, and they're on record for all of this. So okay. they they looked at the storyline, and they looked at the last three books and that inflection point of what they would have needed to do to get there. And they're like, "Now nah, we're good here." Uh, and you know, maybe we'll come back later with a movie or you know, a miniseries, right? Because there's a big time jump between book six and seven. Okay, okay, yeah, and and that makes me feel better. They were just tired. <laughs> they yeah, were just, I can see that. We've got other things that we want to do, and and all the actors and the crew, everybody has just been on it for for a while, right. and that's a that's a fair uh, thing as well. You know, you go eight years of your life, just in terms of seasonality, year to year, not to mention the interstitial stuff, and the fact that both of the seasons have taken two exactly years at least. two years. Right. So right. it's actually like sixteen years if they keep this pace. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Hopefully the industry in general gets a little bit back to normal more. But, um, but I, I do take it to like okay. So Amazon they have rings of power and they want to make it work because they've sunk so much money in the rights. And if you want to make a high fantasy show work, it's much better to have another beloved high fantasy show that's performing quite well. It's one of their top performing shows overall on the same platform. So I, you know, I, I feel reasonably confident that we could really get all eight seasons. 
That would be great. That'd be, yeah. that'd be awesome if we could. And I think the reception to this season has been a lot stronger. I think mm-hmm. it's a lot less divisive. Season one, I mean, I, I think that season one was a mediocre show. It was very much mediocre. Um, and I think season two was really, really good. It wasn't my favorite show of all time, but it was really, really good. And I think that the Twitter discourse, the conversations in our discord show me that people are watching it and they're enjoying it. Yeah. Adrian did a PS saying, I realized I might be sending this too late as the season ended. Doe. And I was like, oh, no, he's good. He's good. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all right. Thanks, Adrian. Finer writes in, says, thank you for the Wheel of Time podcast. One comment on the recent episode. You mentioned you're not sure how Loyal and Company got the horn. Lanfear gave it to them in the episode. Inktar says we had help from a lady from Kyrian. Mm-hmm. We kind of talked about this before, but thanks, Finer, for clarifying that for us. Garrett, this is our last non-spoiler feedback. Garrett writes in, says, Wheel of Time. I'd love to hear some discussion about the soundtrack for this season. I recall John saying something about it briefly in the White Tower segment, but I'd be curious to hear more. Like John, I found it to be discordant to the point of jarring sometimes with electric guitars, modern and clean-sounding instruments, and just all too noticeable. At times, it gives the whole show a cheap CW feel. Thanks for the show. Alicia, say some nice things first. (laughs) I mean, I I said at the beginning, it's one of my highlights that it, I think Lauren Balf, um, he encapsulates the drama of of this show, but also the richness that we're talking about something that's both past and future at the same time. And so it makes perfect sense to me that you have this blend of instruments. Um, And I also just love how they, how he played with it throughout the the different scenes. Like for instance, I talked about before uh, in the episode where Egwene is being broken, her theme is being broken down as this goes on to show her progression. And they've yeah, done this masterfully well. Uh, so I, for me, the score is one of the highlights. And now you're going to say something not nice. <laughs> well... Sorry, I was actually responding to Adrian on our Discord who said, uh, I sent you an email uh, about the Wheel of Time and and hope it can make the, the season wrap. And I was like, we just recorded Good this. News. So, <laughs> yeah. Well done. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it just takes me out of it. Maybe I've been trained by Peter Jackson and, uh, and Howard Shore to expect a certain kind of music from fantasy, but I am trained that way. And so it, it doesn't feel like fantasy to me. It's just it's not it's not my taste, but that's fine. That's fine. If it's working for you, Alicia, I'm very glad. Yeah, I like that it's different. I consider that a feature, not a bug. Yeah, David, any thoughts? Nope. Didn't notice the music. Didn't didn't have a vibe one way or the other. All right. Well, very cool. I think that's it for our feedback here. Uh, Why don't we do some very quick show notes before sending David on his way and doing the White Tower? Talking full book spoilers. So really quickly, we've got our affiliates. We've got uh, Properly Howard Movie Review. They just did the thing. I listened to the whole thing. It was really funny. Mm-hmm. I really liked their review. It made me want to watch it, and I probably will now because it's October, and we're trying night. to be spooky it's about it. It's a classic, it. yeah. Yeah, I've yeah, never seen I, it. So Yeah, I just watched it the other night uh, and actually did a comp to a lo- something happening in Loki uh, Season 2 uh, right. there. So Okay. Yeah, good nice. movie. All right, Alicia, you have your wool shift dust feed. I know you're doing something spooky on it this month. Yes, we're going to have some uh, a short coverage of the ho- fall of the House of Usher, which is going to be on Netflix. And then uh, starting next month, we're going to be covering Beacon 23, the new How- Hugh Howie adaptation on MGM+. 
Well, how Huey is going to be doing a great job uh, with this series. No, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're back because uh, we've been wanting to hear from you more. And uh, yeah, it'll be good to get the feedback going. And I think you and I are probably going to talk about the fall of the House of Usher on this right. feed at some point to do sort of a cross promo. Now, um, our programming notes, we're done with our triple covers. This is the last episode in it. We are, uh, you guys are doing Loki season two. I actually just caught up on it. So who knows yeah. if I'll <laughs> scroll it up again. Yeah. My, my, my phone was blowing up with all your, your messages the other day about getting into, <laughs> so suddenly you're an MCU stand. <laughs> I watched Captain America last night and I mm-hmm. watched, I also watched the one shot of, uh, Agent Carter cause I'm just okay. following yeah, that's the so Marvel. Good. I'm following the Marvel uh, playlist of chronological order. I recommend um, Agent Carter, the TV show, not official MCU, but like really good. Only two seasons. Really fun show. Mm, We'll see. We'll see. I'm going to start with the Disney (laughs) stuff. We'll see where I go from there. Um, But who knows? Maybe maybe you and Jean will will all convince me to to put on a cape again. (laughs) Um, and so Loki season two, we'll have a Silmarillion story this month. We'll have second breakfast for patrons. We've got plenty of stuff going on. Uh, Tejano, we're doing in, in Earthsea. We'll have a podcast on Revenge of the Sith. Plenty of stuff going on on our main feed. So definitely check it out if you are not already on there. Uh, very quickly, I just want to shout out to our lore master patrons. This is our top tier subscribers. We've got Samarchan, Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P., Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwang Yu, Laura G, Dead Eye Jedi Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub Zero, and Adrian. All right. Thank you very much, Ooh. everyone. Yeah, just maybe a quick we'll do our shadow about- puppets. Quick note about uh, Patreon, too. Uh, we've turned on the seven-day free trial thing, so if you just want to check us out and see if that's something you want to do, you can do that. And you can also do annual memberships now. Uh, we were able to convert our account to that. So if that works better for your budgeting, give that a try. Okay. And, of course, we have plenty of stuff on Patreon. I'm going to do a Shireside Chats exclusive yes. for patrons this month, which is where I talk about the letters of J.R. Tolkien. And um, we're going to do Second Breakfast, where we talk about, we're going to watch The Witch. It Finally, the poll ended. Yes. So uh, The Witch, the horror movie. It's a really, really, really good movie. David, yes, I know sir. you've got to head out. It's I been a do. pleasure talking about this season with you. And yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about season three. And uh, thank you, Alicia, for joining us on the White Tower. I'm sure you and John had a good time. And I was uh, glad to have you in my head sometimes when I was watching the show. <laughs> uh, to, you know, curious. I was like, oh, gosh, I wonder what, you know, Alicia thinks about this or that, or I got to ask her this question. So uh, really appreciate you supporting the coverage uh, for this show. Um, I, oh, I know I was going to ask you a question at the top and I, I forgot. Okay. Is is Wheel of Time, does that rank, is it in your power rankings for uh, things? Is, is Wheel of Time number one for you? Uh, as far as like TV this, this year? or No, no, or in, just in, in terms general? of... Yeah, in terms of all kinds of series, is you know from you know everything from Dune to Star Wars. Um, to I mean, Marvel. I would say the trifecta is Wheel of Time, Star Wars, and Marvel. Okay, got it. So n- no, no one, uh, they're all equal and at the top. Yeah, I think you know I go through different moments where I become more obsessed with one or the other. But these are three worlds that um, I 
yeah, that I live in deeply. And I have to say, if I were to choose, like if I had to choose one world to visit, it would be the Wheel of Time world. Well, there you go. Okay. That answers my question. All right, guys. Thanks very much. And uh, everyone else, uh, come with me (laughs) and we'll see you next season. All right. We're going to take a quick break so we can talk full spoilers. And we're back, and David just showed us his flarkin before. Uh, that, that sounded inappropriate. That sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> My flarkin came to pay a visit. No, I did not show you anything. It's a name for a cat in the Marvel stuff if you're not in that world. Let's all calm down. Let's Bye. calm down. All right. All right. Goodbye, David, because it's time to talk full book spoilers with uh, just the Aes Sedai in the room. Alicia... What did you think of the the full adaptation this season? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I was guilty as ever, as I was in the first season, of writing things in my head before going into episodes. But I think in the writers had earned my trust more, may, or maybe they continued to earn it more this season. Um, and I, even though things were different, I still enjoyed them. Um, some things felt a little bit rushed. We've talked about that ad nauseum, but uh, overall... I just think that this is an excellent adaptation and I just love seeing these characters on my screen and I need the whole story, please. I know it would be such a shame if the show got canceled early because I know David's talking about off ramps and I think that works in a show like Foundation where it's a very loose adaptation. Right. But I don't see a lot of off ramps on the Wheel of Time. I mean, I guess if they had ended the season as they did now, I mean... hopefully they would have been given time to wrap up a few loose ends, but I guess it ends on a hero's note or whatever, but uh, still no, come on. We need the final battle. Like we've been talking about the final battle since the first episode, the last battle. Yeah. Yeah. It it would be a real shame to end without the last battle, especially because, you know, you and I know that the last battle is not just a war. It is sort of a battle of competing ideals about the world. Right, exactly. Yeah, and they they've been building it up so much and I you know, I've I've talked to a lot of new to the story people who haven't read the books and uh, a lot of them are loving it and just like completely sucked in and want to know more. And some people are, you know, more like David where they're like that's a lot of information you're throwing at me. I'm not sure it's paying off. Right. And I just want we know from the books that this grows and grows. And a, a lot of us, I certainly was sucked in right away. Some people take longer, but the payoff is so worth it. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I was hooked in right away, too. I, I really loved book one. I mean, I related to Rand a lot in the early seasons. You know, I, I felt like I knew that guy from when I was younger. And yeah, his POV sucked me in right away. But as the show, as the books grew, I honestly, I cared less about Rand and more about other characters. And it just gets more interesting and it gets more, more, uh, it, it gets more flavorful as you go through. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think the next season is going to be the season where it's going to make it or break it for anyone who's having doubts. And honestly, if if you're not in after next season, then this isn't the story for you. But hopefully a large enough audience is. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I always say to people, if you if you don't like the books after book four, then you're probably not into the series, and that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I think I think book four is is a real threshold moment because you have that triple finale of you know Nynaeve fighting Mogidian, you have uh, you know Perrin fighting uh, the White Cloaks and the, yeah. the Trollocs, you have Rand declaring himself to be the Karakarn. It's all and and fighting Asmodian too. Um, it's all so, so good. It's just such a good climax. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I'm very excited, as you were saying, that that Rafe Judkins, the showrunner, said that it's going to be like a very exact adaptation of The Shadow Returns. And a lot of the filming news that I've seen coming out so far has been them filming on the Two River set and the Tinkers okay. are there, including I was worried about uh, D- Daryl McCormick Arum coming back, but he's back. Um his, yeah, uh, his I saw you tweeting about back. that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they recast Marin, right? That was the the big yeah. news. Yeah, they recast Egwene's mom, but I'm I think I'm fine with that. I'm assuming most people are going to be okay with that. Yeah, but then that there's so many things that I want to see. Like, uh, hopefully, we're getting fail. I, we must be. I'm assuming we're getting right. fail. Um, right. I can't wait to meet her, and I'm wondering. I think we're going to get Lord Luke too because. There is an actor that's been cast, but they won't say is what. His name is Luke Featherston, if you want to look him up. <laughs> and he looks like he could be Rand's uncle. Okay. All right. Um, I wanted to bring in some feedback here because I think it's relevant here. Scott okay. H. wrote in, and this I saved for the White Tower. It's the only one that I sh- sheltered from the spoiler-free folks. Uh, says I'm not I'm typically not one of those fans who gets too caught up in book versus show differences, but I'm anxious about the show's long term plans for Rand. Central to his development is his relationship with Elaine, Min and Avienda, as well as their relationships with each other. I'm worried that character economy and modern social political sen- sensibilities will cause a departure from uh, the book series. At this point in the show, Rand has little to no relationship with any of the three women. And some of these plots seem to be in getting incorporated into Matt and Perrin's story arcs, which will potentially have significant knock-on effects. What are your thoughts and opinions on what direction the show will take Ran and his three loves from the book? Alicia? Um, Min promised him rainbows and carnivals and three beautiful women. So I think, I think they're setting it up. Um, I think that it's, too soon to just like suddenly dive into it, especially, you know, with everything. They're still wrapping up the Egwene thing and uh, Lanfear now in the books. Now we've seen him meet Elaine and we got the lovey-dovey perspective. Yeah, I, I that was the moment where I thought, OK, we're definitely doing the three people. Yeah. And and uh, in the books, you know, it would be the start of season three where Egwene basically gives Elaine um, and Rand the blessing to be together. You know, Egwene's like, okay, yeah, it's over what a between weird Rand scene. and I. <laughs> I mean, hopefully they'll handle it a, a little bit better because they've yeah. approached this relationship as being more mature from the get-go. Um, Man, Robert Jordan, I love him so much, but he could not write romance. <laughs> Just couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think so. And then uh, Min, we've met Min, obviously. Rand's met Min. Uh, she becomes a more significant romantic figure later in his life. And I think we're going to get him spending significant time in the waste with Avienda. So. Right. Right. I think, yeah, I think I think, I think that's right. I think that's right. I'm not worried, Scott, and neither is Alicia. So fare thee well. It'll be OK. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for writing in, though. Um, OK, so let's let's move on to things that 
we hope to see that we need to see in season three from the book from from the shadow rising let's just focus on that since we uh since we know that it's going to be a pretty straight adaptation yeah yeah i mean i'm still hoping that they might sneak in some um things that we didn't get to see yet like the flicker flicker and the uh, stick fight um yeah maybe they'll do flicker flicker within the terion real in Roydian. Boy, I can never say that. Right. Yeah, I I think the thing I need the most that I'm most nervous about, but I I honestly believe they've been foreshadowing this heavily, is the Finns. Like, I don't know, people are just freaking me out because people are saying, um, oh, they're replacing the Finns. And I I don't think so. I think they're just, that would be such a mistake to cut that out. It's because a very unique part of it, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's deeply tied to you know Matt to Moraine. It's yeah, it's an important it's an important like world, and I am interested to see how they bring this all together um, with all of the the mirror worlds and the dreaming stuff. And I think they could weave it together in a nice, neat way, a neater way than the books. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, for me, I mean, we know Two Rivers is happening. I need the history of the Aiel that Rancy's to be in there mm-hmm. and nailed because that is something that is, I mean, one of the jaw-dropping moments of that book for me is learning how the Aiel became the Aiel. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And especially with the Tinkers coming back. So Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I really love how much they hate the Tinkers when they were <laughs> Tinkers. Well, that's the um, thing. You you do hate the most similar to yourself, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Um, and then Perrin in the dream world has to be cool because Perrin, as David pointed out, and I think that's right, they haven't been doing a lot with him this season. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they, uh, I hope Hopper's back. I'm sure he will be. Yeah, I'm sure he will. And be. I hope that uh, we will get more development on Perrin's dreamy powers. Yeah, that's why I'm excited about a potential Lord Luke sighting. You know, I want the the Slayer aspect too. Um, and yeah, I want I want also I want Egwene to shine. You know, I want her to have her Wise One training, her Dreamer training, um, and set things up for. I'm wondering if they might tease the Tower Break in the finale. Okay, all right. I think that that would be cool because yeah, don't they do that in the epilogue of Book Four? Yeah, that's where that's where that, Swan yeah. is like ambushed. Right, exactly. So it'd be perfect if he, maybe that's what he means also by like a nearly direct uh, translation to screen. Yeah, yeah. I hope that they do it well, and I think we're getting a lighter right, so we will have yes some kind of some kind of conflict here. Yeah, I'm wondering what's going to happen with Camelin. We're definitely, that's a setting. I th- I'm guessing at the beginning, um, I'm thinking that Elida is going to be like, you lost Elaine, and then go storming to the tower with the boys. Um, hopefully still waiting for that uh, quarterstaff fight. Um, I'm wondering, now one interesting casting announcement is they cast someone as Jack Lenault, who is a minor dark friend involved in the Camelin political plotline in the book. So I'm wondering if that means anything. Mm, interesting. I think maybe we'll get a Robin or Samael with Morghese at some point, maybe in the season mm-hmm. after after her sons are gone. I think that would be a good way to do it. Right. Empty nest. Yeah. Are we ever going to get um, Gareth Bryn? Um, yeah, I'm hoping. I was actually... 
just fan casting, well, not even a specific person, but just like thinking of what if they made that a female character. Okay. And then, okay. yeah, that could be interesting for later plot lines with Brigitte and also with Swan. Right. You know, it's funny. I um, <laughs> I always pictured Gareth Britton as the six-fingered man from The Princess uh, Bride. <laughs> you killed my That's always been like the, the look in my mind. <laughs> okay, fair. Yeah, yeah, definitely someone like dark haired like that. I don't know. I don't know. What, I guess they must describe him that way. Like, I just want him to be like kind of menacing, but then like secretly sweet. Right. I think that that's the right way to portray him. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. And what role do you think the Sean Chen will play next season? I kind of hope they're gone for a couple seasons. Me just I the way they? they are in the books. Okay. I'm good I'm, with them being gone for a while. Although they, I guess they, you know, they show back active. up. Along the coast and stuff. Yeah. Ganon shows up. Is that book four that she shows up? Yeah, I think you're um, right. I think you're right. Yeah, because that's that's where they meet her is in um now Tenchiko. I can't remember the name. Tenchiko, yeah. So so then they they use her to get into the palace. Yeah, and the into fact the that Panarch's they palace. They left a cliffhanger with with uh, Bale. Now, in the books, Bale was supposed to throw something else into the ocean. Um, I, I mean, do you think they'll do the whole male Adam hotline, Adam, whatever we're calling it? I mean, that scene with Samaraj in book 11, I think it is, or 12, 12 um, that's one of the most chilling moments in the series for me. It was insane. So I hope mm. that we get that later. And, and yeah. it's... It's interesting to have Rand access the true power there. I think you need something to make him do that. Right, right. Have to really make him panic, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering, one of my big questions is what's going to happen with the Wonder Girls? Like, they have their travel rings, uh, presumably. Um, So are they going to, because two of them are not yet accepted. So are they going to go back and do that? Or is it just like straight to travel time? Because also... What's going to happen with Leandrin? Is she going to go back to the tower, Mm -hmm. which she can't do if the girls are there? Or is she just going to go off and get embroiled in other plots? Yeah, I think Leandrin will go back for a little bit. I think the girls will stay away for a little bit. Um, I don't think you need to have the accepted test because they don't need the rings now. And you could still have the Egwene Amerlin seat plot line and say she was raised just the same way she was in the books. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and I'm wondering if they'll send Mim back to the tower because we got to get Mim back in the story somehow. Um, and I guess that makes sense because she, right. they right. still have the hold over her. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess my other big question is, is Matt going to remember his past lives in the old tongue now? Or is it going to be like holes in his memory? And maybe that's what makes him go seeking answers. Yeah, um, I hope that he still needs some answers because it would be nice. Or maybe, you know how Brigitta forgets parts of her lives while she's mm-hmm. outside of the, you know, the world between worlds, Tower on right. Road. Um, I think that it may be the same with Matt, right? He remembers fully when he's in that moment. And then he's like, oh, wait, but what happened? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot to hold in a human head. Yeah, no, it's true. And uh, yeah, and I, I think it's more interesting if he forgets some things and is like, that's like a, his little struggle. But I loved seeing him come to life and be the playful Matt. I want more of that. Um, I want the Black Aja hunt, especially I, I, I do want Viren and her brown Aja team to be more involved in it. And this threat of them investigating Loghain too. want to see some of that. Um, Tam uh, to come back. 
Tom. I'm so excited for Tom. Please give us songs. I'm even excited to see more Fane. <laughs> I want to see Crazy Fane. Yeah, I really want Unhinged Fane. I don't know what they're doing with that. They really need to get him a little crazier already. Explain why he can just handle the dagger and nobody else can. Right. Because yeah. he's secretly insane. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Just just give me Unhinged Fane. And I need to know if Maxim's a dark friend because I've gotten very suspicious recently. <laughs> Yeah, they did see that, right? Like, I have to be away from her. She can't see in my head unless we're in battle. And then I got to really concentrate just on the battle. Yep. And the hand gesture thing and him making eye contact with uh, Varen and Joya. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're going to break our hearts with Dane, which they definitely don't do in the book. So I think they, they have a good track record of making me feel things for villains that I didn't in the books. Yeah, I think that's right. What about you? Anything else that you're looking forward to? I think I listed most of what I'm looking forward to. Um, I think they need to bring in Calendor at a certain point, but I'm okay with them putting that off for another season or two. I think so, it'll be early. I think it'll be beginning of next season, but we'll see. You think? Okay. Because of because they begin the book in tier, so I think they might just do that sure, whole yeah. plot line. Okay. All right. And we do have to go east. Um right. Because we, we need, need to, to get to, to the Aiel waste. The Aiel waste. Yeah. 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 Well, now right we had a, Avienda declaring him Karakarn, so that gives him good motive. Yes, I think that's right. He, she's going to be like, you're the Karakarn. And he's going to be like, what? And uh, they can <laughs> move on from that. Yeah. And Moraine will hear that and be like, oh, yeah, there are the prophecies. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go find out. Exactly. Buddy boy. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Lanfear will transport him away to get him away from the other Forsaken. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering what's going to always quickly. I'm wondering what Lanfear is going to be up to because they can't like she's was such a hit this season. It doesn't feel like they'll diminish the roles. Yeah, I think she'll still be around quite a bit. I think she's just going to be a little bit more cautious. Yeah, fighting with Moggy in the background and what other other Forsaken show up. Right. All right. Well, this was a great podcast. I think we're at at the two hour mark around. I don't know because we (laughs) have to stop recording and start recording from a technical issue, but. Uh, we're, we had a full discussion and I'm glad we were able to talk book spoilers for a little while. Alicia, it's been a pleasure doing the white tower segment with you all season and I'm looking forward to next season. Yeah. I can't wait. January, 2025. Make it so. <laughs> all right. We'll see you then. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by the Lorehounds. You can send questions, feedback, and voicemails at the lorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all our episodes at patreon.com slash the lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.